What do you need to do less of? What are you saying yes to that you need to cut out? Who do you have a relationship with that is dishonoring you? Like those things cause mental health issues. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with licensed therapist and New York Times bestseller, Nedra Glover-Tawab. She says it's time to set boundaries and find peace. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. To all my OG listeners and purpose chasers, thank you so much for coming back week after week. Your ratings, your reviews, the way that you share in social media are such a blessing, and you are why this podcast continues to grow exponentially. And I just want you to know that I appreciate you so much. If you're brand new here, welcome to the family. Here's what you just stepped into. We are a community that believes that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. We believe in the original 12th century definition, which says it's about the condition of well-being. So each and every week, I teach from the six pillars of wealth, the interviews, the guests that I invite. They're all about the six pillars of wealth, which are the truth behind what it means to build sustainable wealth, not just financial wealth, but in every area of our lives. I want you to get caught up. So go to patricewashington.com forward slash start here and grab the free audio training, which breaks it all down. You'll see a link to it in the show notes. And I also want you to know that this episode is brought to you by my brand new book, Redefine Wealth for Yourself, How to Stop Chasing Money and Finally Live Your Life's Purpose. I am so excited about all of the lessons that are in this book that are going to help you build wealth from the inside out. You can find out more at redefinewealthforyourself.com. I really hope that you have been enjoying the Let It Go series. I could not think of anyone better than Nedra Glover Tawab to really just bring it all home because as much as we may have the desire to let some things go that are not serving us, I recognize that letting go is still a very active process. And for many of us, we're going to have to set boundaries and then enforce them in order to truly let go. And if you follow Nedra Glover Tawab on Instagram, then you know she is the queen of helping us get these boundaries in order. So I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Nedra Glover-Tawab is a licensed therapist and sought-after relationship expert. She has practiced relationship therapy for 12 years and is the founder and owner of the group therapy practice Kaleidoscope Counseling. Every day, she helps people create healthy relationships by teaching them how to implement boundaries. Her philosophy is that a lack of boundaries and assertiveness underlie most relationship issues, and her gift is helping people create healthy relationships with themselves and others. Without further ado, let's welcome back to the podcast, Nedra Glover-Tawab. Welcome back to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Nedra. Hi. Hello, you vision of loveliness. Like, 
Honey, you guys need to check out the trailer on Instagram so you can just get an idea of how beautiful Nedra is looking today. Nedra, is is this what we doing now that we a New York Times bestselling author? I'm trying to... We get dressed at home, honey. We get dressed. <laughs> Even in quarantine, we are dressed down. You know, one of the things that I really miss about going to work was dressing up. Like when I was a kid, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew how I wanted to dress. I'm like, I want to wear a suit and I want to look like a businesswoman. So yeah, those first few weeks I was trying to do to like, you know, I'm just going to wear, I couldn't do it. I started putting my blouse and slacks back on. I'm like, look, I, this is what I was just, I love it. Well, honey, we are far from business suits now. This dress is like chandelier earrings. You're you're giving us the the shoulders. Like what? Like it's a whole sleeve action. You look really good. Thank you. I was so excited to talk to you. So excited to get the book. I couldn't wait on the publisher's book. I said, let me just order the book for myself because I knew I was in a season of needing to up-level my own personal boundaries and set boundaries, find peace. A guide to reclaiming yourself does not disappoint. That book is so good, girl. This book is phenomenal. Like, why did you know it was time to write a book after all of your great success on social media? You know, I think that this is my 14th year of being a therapist. So, My first client was about boundaries. I didn't know what boundaries was then, but thinking back about it, I'm like, wow, I was helping them with like these enmeshed family issues and how to establish themselves as an adult. It was, it was a boundary issue. And so often in my practice with clients, it is that. And we look at it from a very different perspective. It's like, this person is burnt out. This person is anxious around the holidays. And so much of it is just rooted in, what do you really want? What do you need to do less of? What are you saying yes to that you need to cut out? Who do you have a relationship with that is dishonoring you? Like those things cause mental health issues. It does lead to depression and anxiety particularly anxiety, because we really get stuck in our head space of, oh, when I go to work, you know, most people have heart attacks on Mondays. You know, most cesareans happen on Mondays. Monday is a stressful day. Wow. You know, so when you, yeah. So when we think about like the stress of working, it is so important that we think about boundaries. When we think about the stress of relationships, it's so important that we think about boundaries. And that's relationships with with everything, with food, social media, our friends, our family, our partners, our in-laws, all of those places, there's room for some boundaries. So one of the things that you talk about is that that first level, like for all of us, I think the first place where we may realize or may not realize that we don't have the proper boundaries or healthy boundaries in place are with family. Mm. are with family. And you talk about family systems having unspoken rules of engagement, right? If you want to feel guilty, set a limit with your family. Come on, Nedra. Just talk to us about why it's so difficult to set boundaries with family in particular. 
Yeah. So family has been working their magic on us from inception. (laughs) You know, when you think about all of the messages that you receive and no one even spoke them to you. You know, when we think about kids who are afraid of dogs or afraid of any animal, they say that's from watching the parents be afraid in many cases. So we learn what we can and can't do, what's okay, what's not safe, just by, you know, looking at mama and being like, is this cool? Can I go over here? Okay, no. All right, I'm staying. You know, like we learn all of that stuff. So when it comes to boundaries in our families, we already know without someone saying that it's not okay for you to do this thing because we can read their energy. We know what that look mean. We know who gonna stop talking to who for two weeks when we, you know, all of that stuff. And it really puts us in a place to feel like we can't set expectations. And we can be, you know, we can be 60 years old and still afraid to tell our mamas. And it is so important that we understand that, you know, we have 18 years of being children. And at some point, we have to really step into the adulthood of placing boundaries with our parents and other family members. And sometimes that's with siblings. I am the youngest. And, you know, I remember being a little kid and always being like, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my mama, you know, because all my cousins older, my sister older. And, you know, they would try to like, tell me what to do. And I'd be like, Yo, you're only seven years older than me. <laughs> like, you can't tell me how to cross the street. And I think for many of them, eventually they like this little girl. She just you can't tell her nothing. And they started to embrace like, wow, like she wants to, you know, she wants to do her own thing. And for those who didn't, it was like this combative thing because it's like, no, like I want to I want to figure it out. I want to fill on my own. I want to, you know, like I wanted to you know, be my own person. And I think that's something that we all want. And at different levels, you know, whether it's with family, friends, we have trouble expressing them. I think that we have to understand that there is some discomfort that comes with it. So often we want to place boundaries and we want to do it in a way where the other person doesn't have a reaction. And that's the only time we want to place a boundary. If they don't say anything back, I do it. It's like, whoa, like, well, you never will have boundaries because people don't like them. They don't. So we just going to put it out there. Right. So if you're waiting for the perfect opportunity to set a boundary that you believe everybody is just going to fall in line with when things have been going this way for weeks or months or years Years. to, to possibly their advantage why would they just be like, huh? Yeah. Like, okay, so we have to go in knowing that there could be pushback. Is that what you're saying? Depending on a person, yeah. I think in most cases, when I when I actually think about most cases of placing boundaries, in most instances, people, they fall in line. They say, okay, it's not a big deal. There are some people in our life who you place a boundary with them and it's, the worst thing you could have done for the relationship because they personalize it. They become defensive. They try to talk you out of the boundary. They try to justify where their behavior is more important than your boundary. And we have to be really clear that the boundary is to keep us a safe, 
us comfortable. And sometimes people may not like that, depending on the person. And so if I know that I need to set a boundary today, Mm. possibly with my mother, my father, my sibling, and I know they're not going to like it, how do I move through the discomfort of knowing? Because that's what it is, right? I know in the book you talk about people going, well, if I set the boundary, they're going to think I'm mean. Or Mm. like we have all of these worst case scenarios that we come up with and it just makes us take longer and longer and longer to actually Mm -hmm. do the thing we need to do. So how do I deal with the discomfort that I'm experiencing Mm. in my body, in my mind, Mm. just when I know it's it's time? Self-compassion and self-care. I've ended some relationships because of being mistreated by people. And then I would say several of those instances, the person tried to convince me that I couldn't have the boundary of leaving a relationship. (laughs) like how dare you (laughs) want to not get this mistreatment anymore it's like (laughs) it's like you know hey we cool I forgive you I wish you nothing but wealth happiness be good but I'm out and you know it it comes with the justifying of their behavior how I'm being a cold person because I'm choosing to not get back into a pattern of behavior with them it's like yo I don't this is not what I want for my life. It's not. And I understand that we come from a culture of forgive, 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 forgive. And I think with that, we get repeat, 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 repeat. Because forgiving people doesn't change their behavior. That's a personal process. So in me forgiving you, you got to do something different. You have to be different. So if you're coming to me after you've done something with the same mindset and that mindset is present when we notice them being defensive, when we notice them pushing back, when we notice them justifying their behaviors. That is a really part part for us to keep our boundary of I want to be in healthy relationships. And you have to ask yourself, is this one of them? And if that is your value, then how do you keep your boundaries? Because this person, they're saying, I should be able to do this thing. So how do we make space for our values in our lives is what it comes down to. Now, the boundary is not always leaving a relationship. It could be placing a boundary and people respect it, placing a boundary, placing a boundary, placing a boundary. Oh, they respect it. It could be taking space in your relationships from people. And sometimes, most of the time, I'm not going to say sometimes, most of the time, it's us changing who we are in the relationship. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes we overdo, we overexpect, we do things that we're not actually comfortable doing, and we make it seem like it's the other person. Mm. In the book, you talk about two parts to setting boundaries. So, it's not just, oh, like, oh, go make a boundary and like, let's hope that it all goes well, right? There's two parts. The first thing you say is the communication. Mm -hmm. So again, like the unspoken rules, or we want people to pick up what we're putting down through our actions or inaction, as opposed to Mm -hmm. just telling them like, hey, we need to have a conversation about this. You even talk about tone at different points in the book. So Can you break down the communication and then the action, the two parts to setting boundaries? Mm. I'll tell you an example of, and you'll appreciate this. When you're a kid, your mom tell you, 
before we go in this store. Don't ask for anything. Don't touch nothing. Don't do nothing. She she verbalized the boundary. Right. And when you get in that store, you touch something, put that down. So you just wanted me to spit my coffee out. That's what you wanted me to do, because I instantly thought of a meme. A little video on TikTok my daughter showed me last night and it said, tell me you have a black mom without telling me you have a black mom. And that was the very scenario. I didn't spit it out. I'm saying. But that's setting a boundary. That's setting an expectation of, look, we're here for groceries, not Oreos, not Pop-Tarts, not lemon heads, but produce and meats. (laughs) We are not here this is not a candy store. This is a grocery store. So let's stay on task and really keep it together. That is verbalizing a boundary. And then holding that boundary is not buying the candy when they pick it up. That's the behavioral part of it. Because so often we like, every time we go to the store, they got to get something. Well, we buying it. <laughs> you buying it. So if you don't want them to get anything, we can't buy it. So we, and, and I'm joking here, but... I think we really have to think about the behaviors to implement when we set a boundary with someone. We tell this is a common one when we break up with someone and they keep calling us the ex-boyfriend. He won't stop texting me. Well, if you text him back, he'll continue to text. You know, there are tons of features you can put on your phone to stop somebody from texting you. You can block them. You can mute them. You can you know, you can even ask them, hey, stop texting me. But often we think that the person will get it without us saying it to them. And if it's really a bother, we have to communicate this to other people. If we don't want to work while we're on vacation, you have to send everybody an email that says, hey, I'm on vacation from so-and-so to so-and-so. If it's an emergency, contact this person. And then proceed to not take your laptop. (laughs) Don't answer your emails. Mm -hmm. So that's how we hold boundaries. And it's not about oh, people were still sending me an email. Well, you can't stop people from sending emails, but you don't have to respond. I think last time when you were on the podcast, we talked about you can ring my doorbell, but I don't have to come open the door. You can ring it all you want. You can send an email. You can call. You can text. But I don't have to respond. What happens, though, in some people's bodies or like in their minds when it's just this, I must respond because they because they asked or because they mm. initiated? Because I say this to people sometimes like, yeah, just don't answer. And they're like, but they sent it. But you don't have to answer. What is going mm-hmm. on when someone is like, no, but I have to. I don't know. I, I know that if I'm walking pre-pandemic, you know how you walk down the street and somebody try to hand you like a flyer? I always say no, no. And I've noticed so many people saying yes and throwing it in the trash. <laughs> right. I tell people, save your paper. No, you should save your paper. And this is a stranger. We really have a hard time just saying that this thing is not helpful for me. This is not what I want. I would like this instead, even with people we don't know. It's not just with people we do know. We, we're like, we want to be perceived as being nice, but is it nice to throw it in the trash two blocks down? So I, I think that being nice is, you know, a, a part of being kind to people. 
And and saying yes to everything is not the only, you know, is not the sole way to be kind. That doesn't make you a kind person. There are so many other acts of service that we can, you know, impart on others to be kind. And it's not always extending ourselves, saying yes to everything, taking papers we're going to throw away in five seconds. You know, all of these things that we do to be perceived as compliant, good, um, happy, easy to get along with people. I noticed that with social media, there is like this, this instant sort of, I want to say social media, I think technology period. We have now transitioned to a world where if you don't answer your phone, people will DM you and DNA will get on your, where are you? Where are you? And it's like, yo, I'm watching a movie. (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) Right. They want that instant response. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I found I've learned a lot from my daughter. I have learned a lot from watching my daughter, Reagan, navigate. There have been times and I may have shared this with you before, but I she had her her first massage. It wasn't her first massage, but we had gone to like a mother daughter massage day. Right. And, you know, the the therapist is is doing her thing and massaging mm-hmm. her little back now we're on these tables kind of parallel to each other we're both getting work done I really don't care for the the massage that I'm getting because I'm kind of sensitive I'm a lightweight I'm just here for relaxation don't be going mm-hmm. all into my tissues I don't like it my daughter maybe two minutes in now I'm thinking in my head I don't like this or I'm gonna have to say something to her but I'm building up the courage almost, mm-hmm. right? Reagan is like eight at the time. She says, um, can you stop? I don't like that. But she was so direct. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> girl, I'm over here a full 34. Like, well, wait a minute. How come I was building <laughs> up? <to it? laughs> I was building Sorry. up to say something. And just over the years, watching her has made me step up a bit and, and be more bold, even in just like, sending food back that that not wanting to seem mean or not or you know whatever these ideas are that are in my head at the moment it's like I'll just eat it but you don't like it it doesn't look like the picture they didn't do it right this is not how it was last time for any number of reasons you don't have to settle for this but I've watched my daughter do that out there in the world but then even with us at one point I used to have this little something I would say to her when she was real, really little. Oh, you know, they hit that age in those pits. You just it's not right. They come in from playing outside and, you know, you say you smell like outside. So she was little and I used to say hit these hit hit those pits. But it used to be between she and I like come in and clean up. Well, I said it in front of someone one day and I didn't think anything of it. And she came back to me later that night. She's about seven or eight. She came back and she was like. I don't like that you say hit those Come on boundaries. And I was like, oh, and she was like, and you said it in front of someone and it didn't make me feel good. Mm. Nadra, I had to just apologize to my babe. I said, I am so sorry. And I am so glad that you told me. I, I wasn't even thinking, but I was here, a 30 something year old woman at my age then. I don't know if I had the courage yet to sit my mom down and say, hey, when you do this thing, it doesn't feel good for me. 
but my mm. eight-year-old daughter could do it with me. So on one side, I was like, girl, get your life. But on the other side, I was like, I feel proud that I'm raising someone who has the awareness to be able to communicate uh, her own boundaries with me as a parent. And I think, and I've encouraged it ever since. Like, yes, if mm. I'm doing something that doesn't feel good for you, you are more than welcome to let me know. Cause otherwise I may not know. I may be on automatic. I may be doing to you what was done to me, which isn't fair. You should tell me. And that has really helped us have a great relationship. Mm. So the book is Set Boundaries, Find Peace, a guide to reclaiming yourself because I think we already have boundaries. And I think along the way of our conditioning, our training through society, family, friends, TV, all this stuff, we have unlearned the boundaries that we have. We know when a massage feels uncomfortable. We know when we don't like when someone is saying something. But somewhere along the way, we've learned to really button that up and not speak that. And to have to muster up the courage to say the things that used to come so easily to us. And I noticed that too with my kids is, you know, they're five and seven and I am often like, whoa, like I did not learn the art of apologizing until I became a parent. (laughs) I apologize so much because they correct you and they'll say like, you know, you're rubbing my leg too hard. It's like, oh, oh, okay. I was just trying to put the shea, but you know, you got to warm the shea butter up. You know? You can all like, oh, okay. So I can warm it up in my, you know, like they're teaching me how to be with them. Yes. You know, what's too much pressure? What's, you know, what they want to wear and what they don't want to wear? What food they like to eat and what foods they don't like to eat? Also, um, just recently, my seven-year-old, she doesn't like to eat nuts. And my friend said, well, why doesn't she like nuts? And my seven-year-old said, well, do I have to have a reason? And I said, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because sometimes we don't know the reason that something is uncomfortable. We don't know why we don't. Why we got to give you a whole story about why we don't want to eat almonds? <laughs> Seven years. <laughs> I got to have a whole. Well, when I was two, I was. You know, I'm happy you made this zucchini bread with pecans. I just happened to not want any. <laughs> you know? right. No offense to your bread. It's just my preference. And so I I think that we have to really learn to not personalize everything that people are requesting of us, you know, and, and kids do teach you that. I think so many other people teach that. I have so many friends who will, I had a friend in college and she didn't have a cell phone. And this is at a time where everybody had a cell phone. You leave your cell phone, you go back home and get it. You don't just leave it there. And she would say, if I'm not at home, I'm not available. I'm doing something. I said, that is true. (laughs) That is true. I have an uncle like that. He's like, I don't need a cell phone because if I'm away, I'm away. That is true. You are at work and that's where you should be. (laughs) Well, you know, my brother told me one time, what if something happened to me? I called you, you know, X amount of times. I think at the time he lived in Georgia and I lived in California. And I said, well, if you were having a real emergency, you would want to call someone that lived closer to you because there's not much Mm -hmm. I could do for you all the way in California. But I'm not a person who walks around with my phone. So when I'm at home, wherever I set that phone is where it's probably going to be for a few hours, unless I need the phone for some reason. 
but I don't want to be attached to the phone. So I'm not. So they have a running joke about me in my family. Like, just text, don't bother calling over and over because she's not going to answer. Just text. And when she gets to it, she'll get to it. But yeah, because when I get to it, now I can engage. But other than that, Mm -hmm. I may be recording a podcast. I may be doing media or I may be doing nothing and just don't want to have my phone. And that's okay. Like I used to not feel that way. I used to, when I was in real estate back in the day, I went through a phase where it was like, oh, I had to answer my clients at every turn. And I went to a seminar and they didn't call it setting boundaries, but it was about teaching your clients how to treat you and how to honor and respect your own time. And Mm. ever since then, that was like 2005. That has been such a saving grace in terms of work, because to your point, the more we are connected through technology, people have an expectation that they should be able to get to you when they want and you should reply within two seconds. Mm. That's just not how before I, I was before I was a therapist, I was a juvenile probation officer in Detroit, where I am from. And we had cell phones and the kids and the families, they could like call you if they had an emergency. And so just a little onboarding before the word onboarding was hot. I was onboarding people. And I would just, you know, explain what an emergency is, because this phone should only be used in the case of an emergency. And so some things that you may think is an emergency is not emergent. <laughs> it's not it's not an emergency. So let's say, for instance, you lose your bus pass. Not an emergency. But I tell you what, you're on probation. That's a knock on you. Keep up with your bus pass. Just all of these things. Let's say there is a dangerous situation. Little old Miss Glover doesn't need to come over there. You know, you call the police. You don't call me to come over to your house. And, you know, so call me when, you know, there is something going on with court. Call me when there is something that I would need to know. A lot of the the things that they, it was like parenting stuff. It's like, tell your mom, tell your mom, tell, where's your call this person. Did you tell that to your teacher? So really teaching people or teaching these kids like the proper people to talk to in these situations, because it's not going to be me for everything. And it certainly is not going to be me on a Saturday, on a Sunday while I'm on vacation, because it is it, just not possible. And so this is how you navigate a crisis. And this is what's what is actually a crisis because everything that you think is urgent and important is not. And it goes that way for everything. A lot of the things that people were, did you see my, did you, it's like, what is happening? Oh, Bobby Brown was on TV. That's why you called me eight times. Like that's not, you know, that's not anything to disrupt me for when I'm reading a book. (laughs) You know, it's like, we have to let people know sometimes that, I don't answer my phone after nine o'clock. I'm taking a, a, a no phone day. I'm going on vacation. I don't talk to people on the telephone when I'm on vacation, unless it's a, and I have not even experienced this. I would say maybe a crisis, but it's like, I'm on vacation. I'll be back in a little bit. You know, whatever happened at work on Tuesday, I'll hear about it when I get back. You know, it's not, it's not one of those things where we have to constantly be connected unless we want to. If you want to, then it's no problem. But if you don't want to, you have a right not to. I don't know if people realize they don't want to, though. 
I mean, from my experience, it's like, oh, I want to be there. It's like, if you set this thing in your mind, I forget how you reference it in the book, but you say, I promise my sister, I will always be there for her and her kids. Mm. Right. So now to your detriment, Mm. you may have promised that 10 years ago, but now you you have a family. Now you have your own career. Now you have all these other things going on and you're still on this. Well, I promised 10 years ago that I would like, is it okay to evolve and now shift that and allow yourself to shift that and create a boundary? Absolutely. Your boundaries change. Our bound, everybody's boundaries changed at the beginning of the pandemic. So boundaries change. That example came from me speaking at a college and a young lady mentioned that she was having trouble fitting her classes into her baby skit sitting schedule around her sister's kids. So this is now impacting college. Like you may be unable to graduate because in grad school, as you know, those classes is like fall only, (laughs) winter only. So it's not like, so you have to wait a whole nother year to take that class as if if you can't take it right now on Tuesday and Thursday at 530 or whatever that is, you know? And so this is impacting your life in a negative way. And it's not to say that you can't be there for that person, but you have to be there in a different way. It may not be babysitting, especially on school days. It might have to be something else. You you send them some food on those days. I'm not sure, but is there someone else who can help? And often when we're helping other people and we get into the rhythm of being their sole support and we are starting to get burnt out or we're starting to notice that it's impacting our ability to take care of ourselves. We build this message of they don't have nobody else. Well, they won't find anybody else if you are constantly being the only person. And that's what I learned as a juvenile probation officer. You have to give people resources. There are so many resources available to people that you, and I'm not saying everybody be a social worker, but basically if you have a person in your life who is, well, I need a ride to this, or I need to borrow that, or this thing, you know, there are debt counselors for people who chronically have financial issues. There may be, you know, child care programs or even low cost child care. There may be somebody else in the family willing to help. So these are things that we have to allow people to do on their own and sometimes even give them a few referrals to say, you know, I'm not able to help you sort through this issue because it sounds like an accountant issue and I'm not an accountant. But here are three people who might be able to help you with that, because sometimes we are going to the wrong people asking for support and they're not in the position to support us. But we don't know it because they're not saying anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard years ago and I can't think of who who shared this, but sometimes to help people, you have to stop helping Like you do Mm. need to just provide resources so that they can also figure it out. Because I imagine that for some people, it can't feel good to always feel like you need your life is at the mercy of if this person has time Mm -hmm. or if they come through, if they feel like it either. I don't know, because I've been a person where it was really hard for me to learn how to ask for help. So Mm -hmm. I'm still evolving in that. But Mm -hmm. I just I would I think, aren't you tired of asking your sister to babysit and then seeing her have to jump through all these hoops or is it just like, no, that's what she does. 
Like, so. I think that's what it is. You become reliant on that person and you feel like, you know, well, that's what they do. I like what you said about the opposite. That is a boundary issue as well. The inability to ask for help. That is more of a rigid boundary where you feel like you can do everything yourself. And it's very important to ask for help. I think anytime someone says, well, let me know if you need any help. Please think of something. Please think, come help me take my hair down. I don't know. Think of something because if someone is offering, you want to encourage them to continue to support you. You don't Mm -hmm. want them to quit offering because every time they say something, you like, no, no, no. Well, they will quit offering. Yeah, I I experienced that where everyone around me is like, oh, well, she's got it because I'm always like, no, I'm good. I got it. I got it. But then on the other side, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to do everything. Well, ma'am, you created this dynamic. And I learned Mm -hmm. that with my husband in particular, because when, you know, my daughter was little Here I was like trying to be super mom, all the things, taking her to school, driving cross town to get to work, picking my niece up who lived with us, like doing my rounds for work, doing all the things and then being upset because I would have to fight traffic to get all the way on the other side of town to pick her up by a certain time. And it was just this ever growing thing. And I'm like, why does why is he home looking comfortable? He didn't know she was still at school. Why he didn't go get her at school? Like, right. And I finally said something and he was like, oh, babe, how come you didn't just tell me? I'm like, because you could see that I look tired when I come in, right? The unspoken <laughs> expectation. Mm-hmm. You see me looking tired. You heard me say that well, I had said to tired was your regular look. <laughs> <laughs> I you thought that was your norm. <laughs> when you look rested, I'd be looking at you like, oh, she's so rested. <laughs> Right. So I say that. And to this day, we we have we come to our like who's doing what. It's definitely a shared effort. But I was definitely repeating a cycle. I grew up with a single mom and a single grandma. So I was used to seeing them do all the things. Mm -hmm. And then I brought that into my marriage where I actually had a spouse that was willing to help. But I didn't know how to receive the help. You didn't know how to take advantage of the support that you had. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. Same. My mother was a single parent. I think you you see them doing so much and you have to remember that you do need two people in the household because it is so much. Even if someone can do it on their own, it doesn't mean that they should be doing it on their own. So even for people who are partner, it's important for us as a community to really focus in on offering support to people. Even if they're not asking it, offer to pick somebody up from school. You make sure they get their Mother's Day gift. Make sure, you know, all of these things are so, so important because it is a job raising children, whether it's one or two people. I think per child, you probably need two adults in the household. <laughs> I'm not there, but, you know, I, I think that. It takes a lot of energy to raise a human. You know, I am still at the phase of parenting where my kids, they need a lot of, can you, can you get this? Can you get that? This is over here. Look at my leg. What, where's the, you know, so they're not able to independently do things yet. And that's fine. And so I understand I can't be the person always to do that. And so 
some of it is me training. Here is a step stool. This is how you do this. The toothpaste is already on the toothbrush. You don't have to come get me. So really thinking of ways where I'm not, again, giving them some resources. We got a step stool. We got, you know, all of these things. So you can do some of the things that you're able to do. Really thinking about that and not overworking ourselves as parents because it is a interesting job to be raising another person while we're raising ourselves still. Speak on it. My nephew sent me something the other day and he said, oh gosh, I wish, I wish I had taken a screenshot of this meme, but it was essentially like when you're a kid, you think that adults have it all figured out. And then you grow up and realize like they just as confused as you are. Like we all in Mm -hmm. this together, but it was that sentiment. Now that he's 20, he's like, Y'all are really not all that. Like I thought that like adults in my life had it all figured out. And actually we're all figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You tell this story in the book about, I think a previous client of yours who was a single mother, or maybe she was, di- she was divorced, I think. And all that she took on, she was receiving financial child support, but no, additional just support, physical Mm. support um, from the father of the kids. And that whole spiral or that cycle of getting the kids to the practice and taking them here, taking them there, doing all the things at work. And she was okay with the work stuff because she was being rewarded, but it felt like there was no reward at home just being a mom and going through all those motions, the cleaning, the drop-off, the laundry, and the, and the girls in the story didn't have any responsibility. Mm. So how do, how do we, or how do those that are single parents not feel guilty, I guess, about getting support in terms of maybe hiring people to help with things? Because this is a big thing too. Well, my mom cooks, so I have to cook. Well, my mom always did all the laundry, so I have to make sure that the laundry is done. Like, how do we not take on all of the, well, this is how it was done for me as a kid. So I must do that for my kids, even if I don't have the structure to really thrive doing that. Mm, I think that message can apply to single parents and parents who have partners, because there is a lot of mom guilt around not doing all of the things in your household. And I think with that, this is how I think about it. If I could think of, you know, 25 good things about my mom, folding my clothes wasn't one of them. She was the best at folding shirts. So if I gave that task to someone else, I would not be disrespecting my childhood. And I'm going to jump out here and say most of us would not. That's not one of the things we needed from our parents. I've never heard anybody say, you know, she didn't fold my clothes. You know, that's that's not that's not what we focus on. Now, sometimes we do like a parent who, you know, prepares certain things, but you can have help with cooking. And on Sundays, you can cook. You know, there are so many ways to to receive support without having to do everything yourself. They have these, you know, mommy helpers, they have sitters. Now I understand we're in a pandemic and that could be family support, you know, 
perhaps you live in a space where you have some teenage cousins or you have some, you know, some people who you trust who you can, you know, maybe give a little bit of money to come over and and help with the kids. And if that's not the case, you know, I, I believe in child sharing. You know, hey, you get my kids on Tuesday, I get your kids on Thursday. How can we thrive as parents together and maybe ease the pressure of what this situation is without support. If you can afford it, you know, go ahead and get it. As I mentioned, there are some things that we're doing that that aren't necessary. I was, you know, I was the parent. I cloth diapered. I made baby food. I did all of this stuff. And my daughter broke my heart when she went to school and said, can I eat the school lunch? Oh, 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 my heart. It just ached a little bit when I said that. Oh, all this stuff I did. You want? She wanted the school lunch. Why? Because the other kids are eating school lunch. She don't want my little carefully curated lunches that Anna made from Pinterest. She's like, can I get that uh, turkey and cheese sandwich? Oh my god! Go ahead. Save <laughs> me so much time. You know, it saved me so much time just doing that. And so I realized in hindsight that, you know, there are things that were really important. And then there are some other things that weren't. And baby number two is like, hey, you're not getting half of those things. But I think it's one of those things that we have to think about. Is there an easier way to do this? And sometimes there is an easier way. It won't be, you know, a knock to your family, a knock to your to your motherhood. I have to think about sometimes what is a mother? Again, laundry is not coming up. Cleaning is not coming up. There are things that people care about, like having someone to emotionally support them, being there for them physically, having a parent who tells you about finances, sex, and relationship. Those things are important. Now, how can we be present for all of those things if we are, you know, cooking four-course meals and doing laundry and wiping windows and going to work for 50 hours and having a... How can we do all of these other things that kids actually find to be very important? We may not be able to. And so we have to really think about where do I want to spend my energy? Mm. So would you say that that's letting go of the shoulds? Like all these things you think you should do? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned giving kids responsibilities and it's not, you know, making them responsible for everything in the house, but one space that they can be responsible for at a very young age is their, is their rooms. And you'll be surprised if you go to any kindergarten pre-K class, kids are in there cleaning up. So there is no reason. Clean. Clean. They got a whole little song. (laughs) If they can clean up at school, they can clean up at home. And they do it. Every day, they wiping off tables, Montessori, the Montessori theory. Do you know what that is? Teaching kids to do it for themselves. You put the bed at the lowest setting so they could just get out. You ain't even got to come pick them up and get. I mean, it's just basically allowing your kid to be independent in the ways that they can and supporting them because that's what kids want anyway. They're like, can I do it? Please let me do it. I want to do it. Yeah. We're the ones thinking we have to insert ourselves in everything, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the, the things that they actually care about, to your point, in the long run. So what's the number one thing we have to gain by setting, communicating, 
and taking action on our boundaries. At the end Mm. of the day, what do we get? Well, it's in the title, but I think we get peace in our relationships. Yeah, because you said boundaries are the cure for any problems in our relationships. It's something like that. That's what I was trying to find. Boundaries are the cure. Oh, boundaries are the cure to most relationship problems. Yes, yes. I think so often we think that keeping the peace is the cure. Like being in this space of discomfort, uneasiness. But I've set some really, really hard boundaries and it's uncomfortable. It, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. But ultimately I feel better because the discomfort of just being in the situation as it was, it was worse than me just saying what I needed. Do you think ultimately it creates peace, not just for you, but even the the other party? Or do you just not even worry about what the other party gets from it? I hope what they get from it. And I hope that they're getting some insight about themselves. Like maybe, you know, think of it as an exit interview. (laughs) Like, you know, when when people are able to just be honest with you about what's happening, like, oh, wow, I was doing that. I didn't know it was having that impact. You know, how lovely of you to let me know because you could have just ghosted me. That's what I think sometimes. You know, when people set boundaries with me, wow, thank you for telling me because I didn't even know that was an issue. And people, I don't want you sitting here being uncomfortable with me because I have some boundaries for you. So if you have some with me, I'm open to receiving your boundaries as well. As my daughter would say, that sounds so healthy. (laughs) 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 Now we have these conversations. She said, oh, mom, that sounds healthy. You got that from your therapist? That sounds very healthy. That sounds Mm -hmm. healthy. Yeah, I love it. So Nedra, I'm going to ask you again, the rapid wisdom questions. It'll be interesting to see if these have changed at all since your last time here on redefining wealth. But the first one is, how do you define success? You know, right now, because of the book, because of the work around the book launch, success for me has been rest. That has been success. Girl, I can only imagine. Book launches are a heavy lift, like a Mm -hmm. heavy lift. You know, you know. Yeah, good for you. Okay, how do you define wealth in three words or less? Mm. Living authentically. Oh, so good. Yes. Okay. What's one book that has helped you redefine wealth for yourself? Mm. I would say The Four Agreements. If I'm going with my living authentically, I think that is a wonderful book to help you step outside of perception of what others think and to really tune into who you are and what you need. I would say that book. I was checking because I think you said that last time. <laughs> yes, you were in alignment. It's such I'm, pretty, a good book. I'm pretty sure that's what you said last it's time. It's such a yeah. good book. And yeah, it's such a good book. I think, you know, it's one of those books I recommend reading it every year because it isn't something to master as much as it is something to practice. And I feel the same way about my book. Like people will be like, how do I master this? And I'm like, you know, this is a continuous practice because as we evolve, our boundaries will change. We will be in different relationships with people and, you know, different stages in our life and we'll need different things. So we're constantly going to need the practice of of setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Okay. The last one, you're going to fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Nadra and the truth about wealth is you define it. Boom. Redefine wealth. Yes. That's it. Nedra, thank you for coming back. I'm so excited. The book is so good. I told you before we started recording, man, like you said, boundaries evolve, right? They change as Mm -hmm. we go through different life stages. And I've definitely realized in this season that where I thought I had strong boundaries, they needed, they they changed because they're not even a thing at this Mm -hmm. stage, right? So what was a good boundary at 25 doesn't necessarily serve me at 40 because the dynamics have shifted in my relationship with my mom or my brother or my spouse or whomever. The dynamics have shifted and they just require a new set of boundaries. And your book has definitely been helping hold me accountable to doing Mm -hmm. it. Because the the exercises and the assessment and just the entire book, you did a phenomenal job. I'm so, so happy for you and just grateful to have you back on the podcast. So thank you for being here and always sharing your light and wisdom on Instagram. I love you are one of my top five accounts on Instagram. I love love your I love your page. If I don't see your post, I go look for you. Let me see what. Nedra saying in these listicles what's what's going on and it's always a word so thank you for for using your gifts your brilliance your light to be a blessing to all of us I appreciate you you are welcome all right was that not good I just love me some Nedra if you are not following her on Instagram click the link in the show notes and go follow her. She will help you get your life (laughs) even just via Instagram. It's quite phenomenal. And please pick up the book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. Let me tell you, I am like taking my time. I'm still not completely done with the book because I'm kind of implementing different things as I go. But you know what? Speaking of boundaries and really looking at some that I needed to enforce, I really needed to create more boundaries around protecting and preserving my vacation time with my family. So we are actually going to do a rewind series for the next couple of weeks. And we're not calling it a rewind. It's a remind. So I want you to make sure that you tune in over these next few weeks, because I want to remind you about who I am, who is Patrice Washington, really And I want you to get a sneak peek about how I show up in other spaces. You hear me here on the podcast asking all the questions, but what happens when other people are asking me questions? I'm going to share with you some of my favorite interviews this year and the folks that were interviewing me, and I'm really excited for you to hear. So those are my boundaries. You'll be getting reminds, reminds, yes, reminds for the next couple weeks. And then I'll be back fresh with a solo episode and all new content. So what do you need to let go of over these next several weeks? What are you going to be working on? I know I'm going to be working on my people pillar with my family. So thank you guys so much for the support. Let's talk about this episode with Nedra in the Facebook group. Yes, the Redefining Wealth Facebook group is totally free. Come on over and join us. You can find it at IamAPurposeChaser.com. It'll take you there. And what was your big takeaway 
from today's episode. I'd love to hear about it. Listen, until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later.